If you are turning with me in your Bibles, we're going to be starting in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 19. I'm going to take a brief look into the life of somebody we've looked at before, but I want to see something a little bit different. He's probably one of the most powerful men in the Bible. Definitely one of the most famous prophets throughout history and throughout time. And he performed more miracles. And we're going to take a look into his life. But I want to talk to you for just a few minutes about living an extraordinary life. About getting all you can out of life. Because it looks like a lot of people just kind of end up going through the motions or at some point they stop gaining ground. We talked about last week how God told Joshua that I'll give you every piece of land that you step foot on. So if he didn't step foot on any land, then he didn't receive any inheritance. He had to keep on stepping. And even when Joshua got tired and tried to quit, Caleb said, hey, did you forget something? Now we're going to take the mountain too. I don't want to look back on my life and realize, man, I could have gotten a lot more out of that. Man, I missed a lot of moments. I, I, I didn't live as powerful a life as I could. I, it wasn't extraordinary. It was just kind of my doing what everybody else was doing. I don't want to miss the moments, the epic moments. The life-changing moments. The defining moments. Do you ever feel like you missed it? Do you ever have something happen or you made a decision or so, and, and you feel like, man, I really missed that. I blew it. I missed it. A lot of times looking back, it's easier to see it than in the moment. But you can look back and say, man, I missed it right there. Or I made the wrong decision. I made the wrong choice right there. I was thinking about that while I was studying. And you know, has anybody ever heard of a basketball player named Michael Jordan? Raise your hand. Okay. So, yeah, I'm first say pretty much everybody in here has heard of Michael Jordan. Probably because he was the best basketball player of all time. In my opinion, some people would argue LeBron James, but I'd say no. I'd say it's still Michael Jordan. You can look at all the things that he's done. Guess what? 1984. I remember this. I was two. Um, back in 1984, um, the NBA held a draft. And the very first pick in the first round was a guy named Hakeem Olajuwon. Maybe some of you know him. You ever heard of him? A lot of y'all, maybe some real basketball fans have heard of him. Or Okay, that was the first pick. Uh, that was Houston. Took him first. Second, Portland took a guy named Sam Bowie, who ended up with a lot of injuries throughout his career and ended with a pretty short career with a messed up leg and messed up knee. Um, the third pick... Chicago Bulls took Michael Jordan, who we all know and 
played 15 years in all kind of championships. And so looking back, Houston passed up on Michael Jordan. Portland, they took an injured Sam Bowie over greatest basketball player of all time. You could say they really missed it. Like, dang it, looking back, that the guy, we could have had Michael Jordan. We could have had all those championships that the Chicago Bulls had. Or what about Tom Brady? I can't stand the guy. I don't really like talking good about him, but he is good. Um, he has six Super Bowl rings, more than any other player in NFL history. Nobody's got as many Super Bowl rings as him. You know, in the year 2000, when Tom Brady was in the draft, well, we probably didn't get to watch the draft because we were all sitting there with our buckets of oatmeal waiting on the world to end. But, <laughs> Y2K. Uh, but that year, uh, there was a draft. <laughs> NFL still went on. They weren't afraid of the world ending. So uh, in the draft that year, Tom Brady was the 33rd pick in the sixth round. He, he wasn't even the first pick in the sixth round. Like every NFL team had picked who they wanted, picked who they wanted, picked who they wanted, over and over and over and over and over. This is like when you're picking for kickball out here and you're down to like two people left. Yeah, Tom Brady was just standing there like, am I going to get to play in the NFL? Is anybody going to pick me? Like sixth round, 33rd pick. They take Tom Brady. I guess we'll just put him on our team as a backup. Now, here, was it 19 years later, he's got more championships than anybody a whole bunch of people missed it on him. Like, you know how many picks the Browns had before the 33rd pick? Every time it came up, they missed it. They could have really used a Tom Brady. Sorry, RJ. Where is RJ? Oh, okay, good. He's not hearing me pick on the Browns. The Browns have missed it a lot. They missed all kind of moments and picks. Looking back, you could say, yep, they really missed it. But as I thought about it, I was thinking about all the different people that God uses. And when I look through the Bible at different kinds of people that God uses, and when I think about in my life, people that I see that are powerful, people that I see that are world changers and that are making a huge impact on the kingdom of God, and they're... There's all different kinds of people. God uses all different people. So I'm like, God, what is it? It's not a certain kind of person. It's not a certain attitude because he uses big mouths and he uses quiet people. And he uses, I mean, just look at the disciples. Just the 12 that Jesus chose. Are, there's a whole variety of people. All different ones. So... So God, what is it? As I was praying and, and studying, it became pretty obvious that it's not about mistakes. 
Because in the Bible, even some of the worst people became the best and the most powerful. Like Paul. The guy went from killing Christians to writing two-thirds of the New Testament. So it's not about messing up. It's not about making mistakes. When I say seizing the moments, when I say living life to the full like Jesus talked about, when I say living an extraordinary life, it doesn't mean you've never messed up. It doesn't mean you never made a mistake. Because some of the people that we see as examples have messed up worse than anybody, and yet they lived an extraordinary life, a powerful life. So mistakes don't disqualify you. Remember the scripture, many are called, but few are chosen. We all get the call, but many will, many are called, but few will rise to the occasion. Few will step up to the call to walk in purpose. I told you last week, I pretty much begged you at the end of the service, don't quit. Just don't give up. If you got knocked down, get back up. Don't quit. Know that what you're doing right now is important. Don't quit. Do what you can do. Don't give up. And don't let the past stop you. Remember last week we looked at where Paul tells us in Galatians, one thing I do is forget the past. I look back. I see God's hand. I see what God did. I found healing and I moved forward. What was Paul saying? I don't let my past hold me back. I won't let my past stop me because your past will stop you quick. Good or bad. A good past can stop you too because you'll live in the past. And you won't believe there's anything greater in the future. If the best part of my life is a memory, I'm done. I'll never do anything great because I'm always looking back. I have a friend whose dad played in the NFL and he said that, yeah, it was great. You know, dad had some awesome, cool stories about he was a running back um, for the Green Bay Packers. And he had this great career playing in the NFL. But my friend tells me that he feels like they really missed out because with his dad, it was always just about the past and how great things used to be back when I was in the league and how good I was back then and how and that he kind of forgot to live now. He forgot the importance of being a dad and being a grandpa and being a just because he was just so stuck in the past. When we think of being stuck in the past, we think of some hurt or some pain or some abuse or something bad, but it can be something good too. It could be a great thing in the past that we just can't move on from. We got to keep moving forward. I was reading this story. Um, we won't turn to it because you've probably heard the story, but Elisha, towards the end of his ministry, and he's done all these miracles and stuff, and just looking at the life of Elisha, he's speaking to the king, Jehoash, and he tells him, like, hey, this is your moment. You're about to get victory. You're about to get all the things that you want. So what you need to do is pick up that bow and arrow and I want you to shoot an arrow out the window. So the king picks up the bow and arrow and he shoots it out the window. And then 
Elisha says to him, take the arrow and strike it. And so the king picks up the arrow and he strikes it on the ground three times. And Elisha gets mad. (sighs) Well, you're going to get a partial victory and you're going to get a little bit of what you could have had, but you should have kept striking. You should have struck it six times and you would have gotten all that God had for you. And I think, man, I... I kind of sympathize with the king. Like, I, why didn't you tell me to keep hitting, dude? I went back and read the story. Like, maybe I missed it. Maybe Elisha told him, you know, hit it a lot. Hit it as much as you want to receive. Or go ahead and hit it again. Hit it six times. No. He didn't tell him that. He just heard and said, strike it. And the king struck it three times. And Elisha got mad at him. And I'm like, well, how did Elisha see that moment and know, keep striking, keep striking, keep striking, don't stop, don't quit. And the king missed the moment. They were both in the same moment. Elisha saw it and the king didn't. I want to be like Elisha. I want to see when... When I could keep on striking. I don't want to just stop short of all that God has for me. I want total victory. So how did he do it? We're going to take a look back at just a couple of things in Elisha's life. And the way that he lived and the way he postured himself. And how he set himself up to be the most powerful man in his day. Look at 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19, 19. This is when uh, Elisha first comes on to the scene in the Bible. And at this time, Elijah was the most powerful man, as far as God goes, the most powerful prophet. And God speaks to Elijah, and he goes to call Elisha. And verse 19 says, So he departed thence, Elijah, and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with twelve yoke of oxen before him, and he with the twelfth. And Elijah passed by him, and he cast his mantle upon him. So Elijah's coming by, and the, the mantle represents the call and the anointing and who he was. And what, and he just walks by, he throws the mantle on him, and he keeps right on going. There's no conversation. There's no, hey, here's the call, just keeps right on going. There's some guys I know that communicate this way. And how do we know he just kept on going? Verse 20. And he left the oxen and he ran after Elijah. He just left his oxen there and had to take off running after him to catch up with him. He ran after Elijah and he said, Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. And then I will follow thee. 
And he said unto him, Go back again. For what have I done to thee? I don't care. Do what you need to do. Okay. And he returned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen, and he slew them, and he boiled their flesh. What? He boiled their flesh for the instruments. Um, some translations tell us uh, that he lit the plow, the tack, the, all his plowing equipment, the yoke. He lit it on fire. That's how he boiled the flesh. He, he went back and he set it on fire. Um, Elisha, not a smart business move. That was your job. You were successful. You were plowing in the field. That's what you did back then. Uh, a pair of oxen were valuable. Your plowing equipment was valuable. That's not a good move. Don't slaughter the ox. Bad idea. And then what? You busted up the plowing equipment to build a fire. You couldn't find some sticks in the woods. Do y'all know how much on a good market plowing equipment with the yoke and the plow and, and all the leather for the tack and everything that he burned up? You know how much that's worth? I don't either. I was wondering if any of y'all did. A lot. <laughs> a lot of money. It was his job. It was his livelihood. It, I mean, and he went and caught it on fire, slaughtered the oxen, and he killed them. Hmm, he set his past on fire, literally. That's what he had worked up to. That's what he did for a living. And he went and set it on fire. There'll be no going back. He was doing okay. Obviously, he was making a living. He was out there plowing. He owned some oxen, some plowing equipment. He had a family because it said he wanted to go back and tell his mom and dad bye. Everything was good for him. You know, it's easy to walk away from poverty into the future that God's called you to. Kind of easy to walk away from a bad situation into what God's called you to. But what about walking away from success? What about walking away from what you wanted your life to look like into what God's called you to? That's harder. What about when you have to sacrifice the career that you've spent your whole life building to chase after God? You got to set it on fire. Sometimes it's harder to walk away from good than it is bad. He didn't have it bad. Only an owner could burn the plow and kill the oxen. He owned it. He went back and made that decision. That means he owned it. So let me read the rest of that verse. Uh, with the instruments of the oxen, and he gave unto the people, and they did eat. Then he arose, and he went after Elijah, and ministered unto him. 
or became his servant. Wait, he went from being an owner, a business owner, to being a servant, to following this dude around. He went back and he set his past on fire. And I love that he was so generous that he slaughtered his oxen and he fed everybody. That all the people around got to benefit from his sacrifice. My question for you is, are people benefiting from your sacrifice? Or are you just benefiting from someone else's sacrifice? I mean, we're going to all benefit from other people's sacrifices. We're all sitting in here in a nice AC and lights and we got a sound system and every, and we got a word that hopefully is coming from God that somebody studied. But we're all benefiting today because of someone's sacrifice. We may be benefiting today because of your sacrifice. But my question is, who's benefiting from your sacrifice? If no one, then you're not sacrificing. They all benefited from his sacrifice. It went from being a business owner to a servant. It seems like a lot of times when God calls us up to be greater, we have to become a servant. Remember, Jesus said, you want to be great in, in Dad's kingdom, you got to learn to be a servant of all. Benjamin Franklin said, no one is useless in this world who lightens the burden of someone else. Gandhi said the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service of others. Martin Luther King Jr. said everybody can be great because everybody can serve. Only one time in the Gospels did Jesus say, follow my example. And he said, follow me, come follow me, come follow me. But only one time did Jesus say, follow my example. And then he put on the servant's towel and he washed the disciples' feet. He said, do what I'm about to do. You know how, I don't know if you've probably been in one of these conversations, but like, if you knew you only had one day to live, what would you do? Most people say all kind of crazy a lot of times stupid stuff they would do or things they would go eat or just whatever. Think about that. Jesus knew he only had one day to live. He knew he was going to be crucified the next day and die. And what he chose to do with his last day was serve. Wash feet and be an example to his boys, to his crew. He knew he had one day to live, and that's what he did.
You got to learn how to add value to someone else. Look at Second Kings. So he follows, Elisha follows Elijah. And we see that he washed the hands of Elijah, but we don't hear anything about Elisha for the next six years. We've got a lot recorded about Elijah. Elijah was doing all kind of miracles and go read his life. It's, it's actually pretty interesting. Right before this part that we're about to read, Elijah starts to leave. Some, the king sends some messengers and Elijah turns the messengers back around and they're asking like, well, what did the guy look like? And they said, he was a hairy man with a leather belt. So Elijah looked like Chewbacca and like he's this weird dude and we hear all this stuff and he was like so powerful that after that he ran and sat on top of a mountain and the king sent a captain with 50 men to go get him. And the captain came up there and said, hey, we hear you're a holy man. Get down here. The king wants to see you. And Elijah's like, if I'm a holy man, let lightning strike you and kill you and all your men. And lightning struck and killed the captain and all 50 men. So the king sent another captain with 50 more men. And they came up there and he said, hey, you're a holy man. The king said, come down now. Hurry up. And Elijah was like, if I'm a holy man, let lightning come down and kill you and all your 50 men. And poof, lightning bolt came down and killed all them. Now we're at 100 men. And he's still sitting on top of the mountain. King sends another captain with 50 more men. This one came and fell down on his face. A little different. The last one told him, you better hurry up now. This guy fell down and said, oh, hey, holy man, please, if we've... Uh, if it pleases you, and he's coming with a whole different posture. And the angel of the Lord tells Elijah, hey, go with him. It's going to be okay. I think Elijah was about to lighten and bolt them too. He's having a little too much fun. God had to send an angel to tell him, dude, come on. Go with him. And he went with him. So we hear these crazy stories and all these miracles that Elijah was doing and he called down fire from heaven on all the prophets of Baal and this time he's calling down lightning bolts and killing it. Like, and Elisha was just serving him. Elisha didn't get to do the miracles or anything. So that happens. And then chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal. I don't know why their names had to be so close because it's very hard to. And Elijah said unto Elisha, Tarry here, or stay here, I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Bethel. And Elisha said unto him, As the Lord liveth, and as thy soul liveth, as long as God's alive and you're alive, I will not leave thee. So they went down to Bethel. Elijah said, hey, stay here, dude. He said, no, nah, I ain't staying anywhere. 
Remember, we're looking at the life of Elisha. How did he become so powerful? How did he, he, how did he know? He said his past on fire. He was willing to sacrifice where he was now for where he would be in the future. He served and he was not willing to stay behind. Even when he was told by a well-meaning person, his master said, stay here. He said, no, I'm going with you. So they both went to Bethel. Verse 3, and the sons of the prophet that were at Bethel came forth to Elisha, and they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? Hey, don't you know he's going to die today? And he said, Yeah, I know it. Hold ye your peace. Yeah, I know. Be quiet. So, and Elijah said unto him, Elisha, Stay here. Just stay in Bethel. This is a good place. You can be with the sons of the prophets. It's a good place. It's a good church. They're obviously hearing from God because they knew he was going to die. So they're in the know. They know what's going on. They know what God's doing in the earth. It's not a bad. Just stay here with the sons of the prophet. You'll fit right in. These guys are, this is our people. We've been training them. Stay with them. And Elijah said unto him, Tarry here, and I pray thee, for the Lord hath sent me to Jericho. And he said, As the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. So they came to Jericho. And the sons of the prophets that were at Jericho came unto Elisha. And they said unto him, Knowest thou that the Lord will take away thy master from thy head today? And he answered, yeah, I know it. Hold your peace. I know. Be quiet. Yeah, I already know that. And Elijah said unto him, tarry here, I pray thee. Okay, stay in Jericho. For the Lord hath sent me to Jordan. And he said, as the Lord liveth and as thy soul liveth, I will not leave thee. And they too went on. And 50 men of the sons of the prophets went, and they stood to view afar off. And they too stood by the Jordan. And Elijah took his mantle, his anointing, his power, the call. The same one that he threw at Elisha six years earlier. That same mantle. And he wrapped it together and he smote the waters and they were divided hither and thither. So that they too went over on dry ground. And it came to pass when they were gone over that Elijah said unto Elisha, Ask what I shall do for thee before I be taken away from thee. He said, Okay, go ahead and make a wish. Tell me what it is. What is it that you want? And Elisha said, I pray thee, let a double portion of thy spirit be on me your spirit the spirit of God he didn't pray for circumstances to change he didn't pray for more power he wanted more God more spirit he had been serving for six years he was faithful in a little and he was ready for what was next Verse 10, 
And he said, thou hast asked a hard thing. Or do you know what you're asking for? And a lot of times we pray these prayers and we say what we want, but Elijah asked him, hey, you know what you're asking for? You want a double portion of what God's given me. You want, you want to be in ministry. Oh, you want your church to grow. You, hey, you want a spouse. You want a family. You want God to keep. Do you know what you're asking for? You prepared to handle that. You've asked a hard thing, nevertheless. So, if thou see me when I am taken from thee, it shall be so unto thee. But if not, it shall not be so. Press in. Get up. Don't stop. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked that, behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them both asunder. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. That's how I want to go. Whirlwind. And Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof. And he saw him no more. And he took hold of his own clothes and he rent them in two pieces. And took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell, that fell from him. And he went back and he stood by the bank of the Jordan. Don't let your pain be in vain. He was hurting. He tore his clothes. But he picked up the call. He picked up the mantle in his greatest loss. He picks up his greatest call. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him. And he smote the waters and he said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? God, are you going to be with me like you were with him? God, it's my turn. It's time to try. You had not done any miracles yet. Where's the Lord God of Elijah? Are you going to be there for me too? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither. And Elisha went over. Elijah's last miracle was Elisha's first. When the sons of the prophets, which were to view at Jericho, saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah doth rest on Elisha. And they came to meet him, and they bowed themselves to the ground before him. His mentality was, No, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stay back. I'm not trying to save anything for the next life. No, you tell me to strike, I'm going to keep on striking and striking and striking. I'm going to keep on pushing. Run after God. So many people live their life like they're, they're trying to save something up for the next life or to... Look what Jesus said. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 19, Don't hoard treasure down here where it gets eaten by moths and corroded by rust or worse, stolen by burglars. That's funny. Jesus thought it was worse to be stolen by burglars than to be eaten up by moths or corroded by rust. Or stolen by burglars. Stockpile treasure in heaven where it's safe from moth and rust and burglars. 
It's obvious, isn't it? The place where your treasure is, is the place where you will most want to be and end up being. Where are you investing? The place where you're putting your treasure, the place where you are sacrificing is the place you're going to most want to be, and that's where you're going to end up being. I'd read you this uh, this quote out of the book, uh, Going All In, but I'm going to read it again. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? And that faithfulness is holding the fort. And that playing it safe is safe. And that there is any greater privilege than sacrifice. And that radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical. It's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. So how do you save nothing for the next life? How do you go all in? How do you, how do you sacrifice what you have for what you want? You need to draw a line in the sand. Ask yourself, what can I do today? Because I feel like a lot of times we... We're waiting on till we get things right and one day when it, when it works out. But what can you do today? What steps can you take? How can you transform the square footage in front of you? How can you change the world that you're standing on today? You need to put Isaac on the altar. Like Abraham. That's hard. The dream. You know how long he had been dreaming about that boy? And God said, no. You worship me or the dream? Can you put Isaac on the altar? You need to throw down your staff like Moses. God said, what's in your hand, Moses? He said, just something I picked up along the way. Something that helps me get around. It's something I... He said, will you throw it down for me? You need to burn your plowing equipment like Elisha. You need to climb the cliff like Jonathan. You need to get out of the boat like Peter. You see, there comes a moment when you you got to throw caution to the wind. There comes a moment when you need to just go all in. There comes a moment where you need to burn the ships. There is no plan B. As long as you got a plan B, that's why Elisha went and burned the plow and the oxen because 
as long as there's a plan B, when things get hard at plan A, you're going to fall back on plan B. We've got to get to the point to where we say there is no plan B. I'm not going back. We've got to cross the point of no return to where it'd be more dangerous for us to turn around and try to make it back than it would be for us to keep heading towards our destination, toward the place where God called us. I'm already past the point. I've gone beyond the point of no return where there's nothing back there. There's nothing to go back to. I've destroyed plan B. I set it on fire. We've burned the ships. So live or die, we're all in. I'm going to give it everything I got. I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to fight and I'm going to push. And even if somebody tells me to stop or wait here or stay, even if it's an okay place to stay, I'm no. Because I'm not done taking ground. I've not walked in everything I'm supposed to walk in. And I believe that my best days are in front of me, not behind me. We've not made it yet. This is that moment for some of you. This is your moment. Don't look back on this service today and know that the Holy Spirit was telling you. And you missed this moment. I believe some of you look back on this service in this moment in time in the future and you'll say, it was that moment where I changed my mind. It was that moment where everything changed and I decided to start sacrificing. It was that moment where I decided I'll no longer live off of other people's sacrifices, but I'm going to step up and sacrifice so that someone else can be blessed and I'm going to press on. I'm not going to stop when people tell me to stop. Because God called me. If not now, then when? One day when I have more time, I'll serve somebody. No, you won't. If you can't do it now, you won't do it then. When I hear that people say, well, when I make more money, when I get a better job, I'm going to tithe. No, you won't. If you don't tithe off 200, you won't tithe off 1,000, you won't tithe off a million. It's discipline, it's obedience, it's, it's sacrifice. You make a decision and you do it. I close with this thought the test of time. One day when we're old and we look back over our lives, or we're older, I feel like I'm getting old. When we're older, and the older we get, the more life we have to look back on, let's say it that way. We can look and see if we've survived the test of time, not just if we're still standing or we're alive, but the test of time for a Christian. I think a really good test is over time, do I get bitter or better? Because no matter what I go through, I should be getting better. 
I should be getting stronger and smarter and more full of the Spirit and more powerful. And I should be changing the world. And no matter what the circumstances say, no matter what I've had to walk through, no matter what, I should be getting better, not bitter. See, if I'm getting bitter with time, then something's wrong. Something's off. I've settled. I've stopped pushing. I stopped fighting. I should be getting better. Are you milk or wine? If I take milk and sit it in here for a week and we crack it open next Sunday morning and ask who wants to come up here and get a sip, you're probably not going to want a sip. You're probably going to need a spoon to eat the chunks. And it's going to be bitter. But wine, it gets better with time. The longer it sits, the better it gets. As Christians, we're supposed to be like wine. And the longer we live, the more powerful we should become. The greater our relationship with God should be. The more we... Not like milk. We shouldn't be getting bitter and worse and angry. No. It's not about getting what you want. It's about wanting what you get. That's okay. My family, sure not perfect. Not about you getting what you want. I know that's a shock to some of y'all. You probably thought they were. (laughs) But I want my family. What about like challenges that come into your life? It's not about always getting what you want, things to be easy and peaceful. It's about wanting what you get. Even when a challenge comes, say, hey, I must need this. This is a test. I must need it to get me ready for what's coming next. You know, David's moment of fame that shot him into fame and like put him in the palace and made him known was killing Goliath. But you know what got him ready for that? Remember he told Saul, I killed a bear and I killed a lion You know, he sat out there practicing with that sling. He had to. Throwing rocks at fence posts, getting good. That's probably before he killed the bear or the lion. At the time, when a lion came and stole one of the sheep, and he was afraid and having to go after it, that probably didn't seem like a blessing from God. But it was preparing him. For the giant to come. Being thankful for what comes, even the challenges. Knowing that it's preparing us. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. 
Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Paul knew it's not about what you're going through. What you do with what you have can make you bitter or better. I want to be able to say, God, you can trust me. I'll chop it up and set it on fire the minute I hear you call. I won't settle for good. I want great. God, I'm going to keep striking the arrow over and over and over and over and over because I want all that you have for me. I'm willing to set my past on fire. What I thought was success and what I thought I needed, I'd burn it all up. Let somebody benefit from the sacrifice because I'm coming after you. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for life and love. Thank you for food and strength. God, I thank you that you've got a call on each one of our lives and that you have a purpose for us. God, we want to live extraordinary lives. We want to touch the world. We want to leave our thumbprint on planet Earth. God, help us to represent you well. We love you. Thanks for all that you're doing. Thank you for pushing us. In Jesus' name, amen.